All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. We have a special guest today out in Indianapolis at the Combine, Eric Froton, newly crowned FSWA uh, College Sports Writer of the Year. Congratulations, Eric. Uh, how is it like in India at the moment? Oh, well, I know you and I were ships in the night. I'm sorry that I missed you. We didn't get to have our prime evening last night, uh, two nights ago, Jay, but it's looking pretty good here. You know, plenty of interviews to enjoy. And uh, I just got to interview my cousin, Cole Bishop, who is a member of the 2024 NFL Draft Class. So uh, always a always a thrill. Well, that's cool. Very cool. And congratulations again. Uh, loved your insight all season long. And, um, you know, even more than just winning the hardware, uh, you guys were extremely profitable. <laughs> if anyone was kind of tuning into the uh, the weekly breakdowns, it was, uh, you know, it was a great insight into the uh, betting space with respect to college football. So appreciate you for that. Um, need your help, though. <clears throat> Uh, it, uh, the, the work never ends, uh, Eric, and we got uh, pretty decent liquidity available here in some of these, uh, early draft pick markets and the uncertainty is still enormous right now. I mean, there's uh, very little settled in my opinion about the two and three picks. I know you had a mock draft out, but, uh, talk to me a little bit about pick two with the commanders. Uh, I think there's a relatively high degree of confidence that they're going to take best quarterback in their mind available. Um, do you think that there is relatively high confidence on who that is and, and, uh, you know, what, at to what degree uh, or what signs, what signals, what should we be looking for to track down information for that market? Yeah, well, this is probably the most well parsed over market right now. This is the one that everyone's looking at. Caleb Williams is pretty much settled. He's already up there at, you know, 16 to 1, maybe even higher at this point. But this is the one that is getting closer and closer. And, you know, it comes down to Drake May and Jaden Daniels. And I do think 110%. Washington will be taking a quarterback. In my mock draft scenario, I went with Drake May. And the reason why I like him a little bit more than Jaden Daniels, or I should say, you know, comfortably, is you have to factor in age. And Jaden Daniels, for the first four years of his collegiate career between Arizona State and then going over there at LSU, was a fairly, you know, mundane quarterback. Wasn't somebody that was being thought about in even day two circles you know, heading into this last season and then obviously just became a rocket ship and, you know, simply took off uh, the 90 plus explosive runs, most by any quarterback in recent, you know, memory. But, you know, you have to look at that. It wasn't explosive runs, it was explosive plays. But when it comes to Jaden Daniels, you know, I, a lot of those plays came from his running ability, you know, and what I'm concerned about with him is when he gets off of script, when he feels pressure, even when he doesn't feel pressure and he just simply has the clock go off in his head and he bails, he's running most of the time when he is flushed. And that's something that really is hard to translate to the NFL. And to illustrate it, let me put it this way. His passing rate went off of script was only 20%. One out of every five times he was flushed or pressured in some way, he threw the ball. That's 80% of the time he's running at 210 pounds. And we saw some of the absolute highlight real worthy tackles that he took, you know, getting essentially, you know, pile driven in the ground multiple times. This is a guy, he puts himself in danger all the time, you know, and in the NFL, 57% of the time that a quarterback gets flushed, they're throwing the ball. That is a drastic difference from 20%, which is actually the lowest rate in the entire FBS that he threw an off script. That is a concern to me. On the other side with Drake May, I mean, 
21 years old, third year. You know, he still has a lot of growing to do. He's got two years away from where he will be when Jaden Daniels is now. And his downfield passing ability, you know, 20% of his throws, Drake Mays, were downfield passes. That was the fourth most in the Power Five. And 47% of those deep passes were completed. That was the fifth best rate in the entire Power Five. So when I'm looking at the frame of Drake May, I'm looking at his lineage, you know, the basketball background for his brother, his dad, even himself, all that, the growth, I am a Drake May proponent at number two. Okay. Well, it looks like effectively a head-to-head market between these two um, in the number two overall pick market. Not quite in the third overall pick market. They have the same odds at FanDuel, both plus 170. But Marvin Harrison Jr. is also in the mix there. He is plus 270. Do you think, Eric, that ultimately the Patriots just select which of the quarterbacks doesn't go to? Or is there a chance they take uh, Maserati Marv? Well, I am a a Patriots fan, so I actually spoke today in Indianapolis with Phil Perry, who is the NBC correspondent for Boston, a guy who I've I've known for a few years and is very dialed into the Boston marketplace. He and I had a discussion about this very topic, and uh, we are both in unison. I think this is going to be a QB here at this pick. Mm. I think it's likely. I think if it's May is there, I think they take May. Um, You know, with the new regime in town, I think they want to put their stamp there. Only question I kind of have is maybe, maybe J.J. McCarthy, if he blows them away, could slip in that conversation. But I do think, you know, he's very thinly built. He, he's still a lot of questions about his development with a, a very run-heavy scheme. I'm leaning towards that being, you know, more likely whoever isn't taken of Drake May or Jaden Daniels will be the Patriots pick. Okay. Okay. Do you think J.J. McCarthy is the guy that could uh, sow a little bit of uh, chaos in the top three? I think he kind of could. And you you look at the odds that we have obviously posted now at eight and a half, you know, to one. You know, if I was if we're out there looking to throw some stabs and and sprinkle and have a little fun on draft night. Well, that's a good way to to make a a tidy little return off of it. That being said, you know, it, it is unlikely. Um, but I, I, I like May at, at current odds. Okay. Yeah. I think as well that, you know, this real, it's all a trickle down of the number two overall pick market. And that is the one that feels like it's going to move the most rapidly, given that it is kind of the marquee market on the board. I asked around a little bit when I was in India. It's like, is there any chance that Caleb doesn't go one? And I was told, but everyone that I spoke to was like, no, this is about as done as it can possibly be that Caleb is going one. Um, so the next, uh, call will be um, at two. And yeah, it seems like it's headed towards May, but I don't think there's any certainty um, there at the moment. All right, before we get to a little more JJ chat and Michael Penix and Bo Nix, spring training is here. So for those looking to get ahead on the upcoming MLB season, grab your Roto World Baseball Draft Guide. It's loaded with comprehensive positional rankings, projections, and player profiles to ensure your draft is a success. Visit NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code BASEBALL24 to get 10% off at checkout. All right. In terms of the team to draft J.J. McCarthy, uh, who is maybe the most divisive quarterback uh, in the draft, um, where there is uh, at opposite ends of the spectrum, I think you have kind of just football fans who are just baffled that he's in the discussion to be um, potentially a top three pick. 
um, given that Michigan's offense was so run heavy and he didn't really have to do a great deal, um, though he did do enough uh, when he was required to. And then there are some scouts who seem to adore him. So what part of the draft, Eric, do you think that JJ will go? And is there a team in particular uh, you think he's most likely to land with? You know, I, I, I tend to think that that 10 to 22 range or so, you know, mm-hmm. just outside or, you know, just making the playoffs down. I think that's really the sweet spot for him. I figure if Kenny Pickett can get picked at 20, you know, with <laughs> JJ McCarthy could certainly be worthy of it. If you think of it that way, but you know, uh, look at the teams. It, obviously Atlanta doesn't want to be left out of this QB dance. I, I think it's very clear of that. Denver is paying Russell Wilson an ungodly amount of money to just simply go away. They want to be able to have a plan in place, you know, to turn the page to. So I think when you you factor in, you know, desperation here and the fact that all, I don't know how many different NFL teams started different quarterbacks, but there was so many. It, I just felt like the level of QB play last year from what I was watching was just so much lower than you're used to. And you and backup quarterbacks are even more important nowadays as well. So I, I just feel like uh there's so much of a premium on that position. It's the toughest thing to do in all of sports. Obviously it's not the, exactly, you know, a high end analysis with that, but I think you're going to find a team that wants a solution, wants a plan in place. That's going to be in that range. And I kind of think Denver, that's what, that's what my, my gut tells me is the Broncos. Okay. And do you think that uh, through the process, McCarthy will get enough of uh, kind of, because again, like this could be, this could all originate from his agent, right? Like that's the way that the kind of cloak and dagger stuff works with information. <laughs> like his agent could just be in everyone's ear. McCarthy's going to go a lot higher than people think. He's going to go, yeah, everybody, everybody's got eyes for McCarthy, right? Like that, that's kind of sort of the undercurrent that everybody is talking about right now. And I don't have a solid source on why. I don't think that's a, it's not coming from a talent evaluator or a scout or a GM. Like there, there's, that's coming from agents, right? Um, but do you think there is any possibility that McCarthy, uh, you know, kind of rises and challenges, uh, you know, the, the top, you know, the two, number two and three in terms of just talent evaluation to where a team must go get him at four, right? Because, you know, if the, if the Broncos fall in love with him, like, I don't think they can necessarily sit on their heels and wait because, like you mentioned, the Falcons are not going to be, uh, you know, willing to Absolutely. pass on a quarterback. The, you know, certainly the uh, the Vikings and the Raiders in division uh, are going to be jockeying for position to take a quarterback. So, um, you know, I guess, do you think that uh, ultimately um, he could become coveted enough to warrant uh, someone giving a, God- a godfather offer to the uh, Cardinals for the four pick? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That could happen. And in fact, I mean, I, I think that scenario is very much in play, especially given the, the Cardinals, you know, their propensity to want to trade down. Look at how much extra capital they banked, especially last year, you know, to trading down. That being said, ooh, you know, if I, I, I don't think that the best partner is the Cardinals, because why oh. wouldn't they take Marvin Harrison there? Do, why look the gift horse in the mouth? I mean, I, I could see it happening, but I, I just think the logic, Occam's Razor says, what's the most logical solution it would be for them to take it? I think the the Chargers, though, at five. Yeah. Because they got, they, they're they set. They got Herbert. 
What do they really need? Probably an offensive lineman. Oh, okay, you can bump down Atlanta. You can bump down a few picks, and you're still going to get a great OL, even if you're at 12, 11 with the Vikings, as you mentioned, you know, the Raiders. Down to eight, you know you're getting Fashanu or Alt. If you're going down to eight, you know, you're moving down to Atlanta. So I think you could see the Chargers, you know, make a move there, which, damn, if that franchise doesn't need to make a little shake up there, I can say that. We can say that, Drew. We're Southern California <laughs> guys, right? We can talk smack about the Chargers. Yeah. Uh, it probably wouldn't be bad for them to bank a couple extra picks, you know, with the variance they have in some of their selections. <laughs> Quentin Johnson. Yeah, and also, and the, and the holes on that roster right now are pretty glaring. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I don't want to give you PTSD, but I need some help. Uh, put on your bookmaking cap and line, uh, put an over under up for JJ McCarthy right now. I mean, where it's, is it where the Vikings are picking? They are, which is, I mean, it's a 10 and a half, that type of range. I don't know. Yeah, I think that. 11, I think there, yeah. Yeah, I, that's in my head where I think that he's likely to go. Um, but he is the guy who I think he might have, of the quarterbacks, the widest range of outcomes, at least of these top-tier guys. Because, I mean, yeah, he's been getting smashed offshore to go, what, second or third? And then <laughs> it seems like his most likely outcome is probably 10 or 11 unless unless someone trades up. Um, so that's about where I'd have it. Um, Eric? Michael Penix and Bo Nix, um, other marquee quarterbacks who faced off in the Pac-12 uh, title game and, and much to my delight, um, the 10.5-point dog, Michael Penix, got home, um, which is still – I still don't understand how the Lions move from what they oh. play, what they were when – I think Washington were three-point favorites at home and then they were 10.5-point dogs. And not that I wow. know more than the market on the Pac-12 title line, but that still just is completely baffling to me. Anyway, uh, let's put them head-to-head again. Uh, Where do you think these guys likely go? And again, is there a team for each of them that you think makes the most sense? Yeah, and gosh, that was honestly the great mispriced college football line, sideline of the year, frankly, Jay. And you're right on the money. Congratulations for profiting on that. I actually was in attendance for that game. At Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. So uh, it was a great one, obviously. But with the two of them, you know, I, it, it, is, it is an interesting question. With Knicks, you know, you look at him, didn't really get pressured much because he had you know, 2.22 seconds time to throw. He basically just ran an offense that was laid out for him. It was shotgun snap, take it, look, pivot throw ball. I mean, it was that quick. It was no real reads, no progressions involved that Kenny Dillingham, you know, the previous year and then this year, uh, you know, Will Stein was giving him. And it's like, we don't know what it, what he looks like in a pro system. And even in that system that he's doing, that is real quick, easy, one read, he wasn't dialing it deep. You know, only 11% of his passes were of 20 uh, yards or more, that was the lowest percentage in the nation with any quarterback that had 50 or more deep passing attempts. So um, with him, you know, if you can't stretch the field like that at the NFL level, I have I have concerns about your overall efficacy and how you're going to survive. Um, and he doesn't have your know, big, big arm. So, you know, can he even read a field? We doesn't throw downfield. With Penix, He's got the big arm. I know he will sit there. He will take a shot without a doubt 
Like, I'm not worried about him staying in the pocket. However, he played behind the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line. Joe Moore Award is given out to the best offensive line in college every year. And for most of the season against Pac-12 competition, he wasn't getting pressured. He was able to stay back there and throw to three NFL-caliber wide receivers and Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, and, of course, Roma Dunze. He was a top three. He'll probably be a top ten pick. And he has all the talent in the world to be able to work with out there from a clean pocket against Michigan in the national title game where you saw Michigan was able to get pressure with four. They didn't have to bring heat. He got, he stayed in, he was getting hit. And when he had to deal with being harassed on a more consistent basis, his eyes lowered and he wasn't able to show the accuracy that he did in the first national title, you know, playoff game against Texas, where he was dropping dimes downfield, you know, the, the beautiful bucket shots, you know, 30 yards down the field. He wasn't able to do that when he wasn't able to sit there and have four seconds to throw. So um, when he was asked to throw on the run, another thing that I really use as important gauge for QBs, he was one of, in my estimation, the worst when passing off of script. His completion rate when scrambling, 23%. As low as you're going to find. I think it was the lowest in the power five. So um, those are my problems with Penix. Bad knee. Doesn't throw well off a script, didn't handle pressure well, and had an incredible offensive line. What does it look like when he's in a mortal situation against the best of the best in the NFL? I have questions. Push comes to shove. I will go with Michael Penix since he has the bigger arm, and I've seen him actually be able to complete balls downfield. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's pivot to uh, what I would call your specialty, which is the skill position group. Uh, and uh, ask you a little bit about these guys here. So um, it is not a secret. This is a wide receiver rich draft. Uh, it has been now we're like kind of in like just the golden age of young wide receivers coming in and making an immediate impact in the league, which uh, I think is fueling even more enthusiasm for, uh, you know, teams drafting these guys early. Uh, do you think that this is a pretty stratified group as is, or do you think the combine has the potential to reshuffle, uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of the thinking on who goes when and where and, and, you know, finding potential suitors among all of these very talented wide receivers. Yeah, it will definitely make a difference for some of these guys. And, and like you said, with, with such a competitive group, with so many talented wideouts and with frankly, college offenses being geared to produce these wideouts. Now the, the air raidification of the college game said better wideouts and guys, we're lucky for it as the viewing public and the betting public. But um, with this group, you are going to see some fortunes hinge on the 40 time. In fact, I, I mean, a great example is Keon Coleman, you know, hear a lot about Keon Coleman, it, it, wide variance in terms of opinions. 6'4", 215, returns kicks. You don't see a lot of guys his size doing that. The highlight reel catches up and down. Like, they're, you can't not see them. They were all over SportsCenter and, uh, and NBC Sports, of course. With the things that he does and doesn't do well, you know, not great overall with the contested catches. You know, 8 of 24, 33% contested catch rate um, is great downfield, but in terms of Overall, you know, he isn't a great separator at the break point. You know, he's he's a big guy. If he's going to win, it's going to be like Drake London kind of does. You know, at that big 6'4", 215, 220, he's going to bully you. He's a freak athlete, former D1 college basketball player from Michigan State before he transferred to, to Florida State. But can he separate? Does he have the juice to win, you know, against NFL caliber quarterbacks? Because 
He didn't show a lot of separation on tape. He's going to be important. If he can get as close to 4-5 as he possibly can for his size, that's going to be important. And then another guy, maybe like uh, Xavier Worthy, who his hands have been a little bit maligned you know, throughout this process and talking about it like, oh, is he a complete receiver? Well, he's the type of guy who could go out and, and hit 4-3, maybe even break 4-3. And mm-hmm. if he does that, well, guess what? He might. He's probably going to go at the end of the first round, either the Bills or Kansas City, who want to put a ready-made weapon who had who puts the acceleration on tape and has the high-end deep, deep speed. So, uh, it's going to be important for some of these closely clustered wideouts. Okay, uh, going to the top of the board, the absolute top of the board for wideouts. Just a a random one that's been building a little bit lately. Do you think there's any chance, Eric, that Malik Neighbors goes over Marvin Harrison? You know, I ne- I never like to say never when it comes to you know super talented guys in the NFL draft because personal preference is a thing, you know. And you've heard rumblings that there are GMs that apparently like neighbors more, and I can't argue with it. Do I love Marvin Harrison Jr.? Would I take him? Absolutely, six four, two oh five. And when you hear D backs talk about going up against him, they talk about is his strength. You know, so where you can have that sort of a frame, his shoulders, I, I mean, I've seen him in person. His shoulders are massive. You look at his shoulders of a tight end, but he's only 205, you know, and he can move like that. He could possibly run a 4-4 flat, you know, or at least in the low 4-4s, we won't get to see him run. But with that kind of overall size, athleticism, ability to track the ball downfield, the pedigree from his dad, I'm I'm in. But let's not discount Malik Neighbors. Like just because he happens to be in the same draft class as Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't mean he is any less of a prospect. I mean, you watch him on the curl routes, on the digs, on the outs. He gets separation at the break point, but even more so, he gets those curls. And as soon as he's catching it, he's attacking the ball with his hands. He's coming to the ball, but he knows in his mind he's got somebody trailing him. And most of the time, he's shaking that trailing defender. And then he's got that whole canvas to paint with, which is the entire field. And his ramp-up speed is as good, in my opinion, as, uh, you know, Xavier Worthy we just talked about. But he's 25 pounds heavier. You know, he's at the 195 two two mark, you know, whereas Worthy's maybe 175-ish. I mean, so much stronger. More ability in terms of, you know, breaking arm tackles, being able to, to ward off defenders, not getting knocked off his routes. He's a complete receiver, um, led the nation with a 65% deep catch rate. He had a plus 90th percentile PFF grade to all four levels of the field, both behind the line and deep. Only receiver in this draft class to have that designation. He's a complete guy. It's not a knock on him, 1A, 1B, however you want to put it. I don't feel comfortable saying that he's that much better than Marvin Harrison, that he, that it's a complete wouldn't happen, but I do have Marvin Harrison above him. Okay. Um, that's very, very useful to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked. Other people have kind of made this point and I've other people that I've talked to that have seen Harrison in person have been like, this is the next Calvin Johnson. Don't overthink it. Like this is, he's just ridiculous. 
Texans. But uh, all this, all that said, I got to ask you about running backs. You can take this question in whatever direction you feel like it. Um, but uh, they're going to be running 40s on Saturday. That's kind of the main event, I guess, uh, of the combine if you're watching it on TV. Uh, it's definitely the main event if you're betting uh, combine 40 okay. times. Uh, anything you want to kind of shed some light on uh, this running back class and, and in particular what to expect out of them at the combine? Gosh, we'll go with the running back class first. Um, you know, I, I've seen in terms of consensus, uh, Jonathan Brooks, Texas, as, you know, the kind of the number one general running back. Uh, he's coming off an ACL, which happened late in the season, you know, so even though that seems to be like Tommy John surgery for pitchers nowadays for running backs, you know, just something to be wary of. And he is, he's only about 205. He's not a particularly big running back. He doesn't have, uh, excessive twitch that I look at that really does it. He doesn't have the home run speed. He's more of a fluid runner, um, you know, who's good. But I don't know if I look at him and, and I'm just, oh, yeah, coming off an ACL, I'm ready to, to crown him RB1. I think guys like Trey Benson uh, for Florida State, he's a legit 220-pounder. Uh, you know, he tore up his knee as a freshman. He came back and he – ripped the ACC in his first season with Florida State transferring from Oregon for four and a half yards after contact and 79 missed tackles and like 150 carries. Okay, he had a, a plus 50% broken tackle rate. That's insane. And he had one of the highest real analytics mile per hour scores on the field of any player in the country, regardless of position. So he, I think he hit uh, almost, I think 22.9, almost 23 on the gun. That's ridiculous at 220. He's somebody you're going to want to watch. He's currently lined. I want to say he opened real low. He was up there like 435. I think he's at 439. He's currently at 439 right now. Just to hear that number, 439 at 220, it tells you something about Trey Benson. We have it like that is Jonathan Taylor. That is Brees Hall. You know, that is the <laughs> rarefied air of sub 44. Sure. 40 time for, for a running back. So keep that in mind with Trey Benson. If there's somebody else to watch on the, on the track, definitely. Um, uh, t- Tennessee running back, Jalen Wyatt. I mean, right. Excuse me. Jalen, right. Jalen Wyatt was last. Jalen Wright, Tennessee running back. Okay. He's currently lined at four, three, two. He opened at four, three, one last night. Everything has moved seismically in terms of these markets since they've gone out. The fact he's only moved, a hundredth of a point, all right? He is going to run the fastest of any running back. I mean, I, I feel great about him being the fastest okay. RB if you're in that market. If you're in his regular market at 432, listen, he's 212, okay? 432 at 212. We're talking about physics being defied, <laughs> okay, here? Take that over. Yeah, over. Okay. I like it. Take I that uh, over. Okay. Eric. Last one from me. Uh, do you think anyone breaks the 40-yard dash record at the Combine, which is a 4 was John Ross in 2017 uh, on DraftKings? The no is minus 700. The yes is plus 450. Which side would you be on? I have another category other than yes or no. Oh. Okay. Hell no! <laughs> no, no one's going to is... come close to that out of this class. There isn't anybody like that. You know, you want to talk a chain last year. Fine. Guy was Olympic caliber sprinter. Sure. The best verified times we're getting out of this class is, uh, is actually like a, a, a kind of a, a random guy. He's uh, Tyler Owens from Texas tech, a nondescript prospect, a day three prospect. Huh. 
you know, in terms of his overall talent level. Um, 6'3", measured in, measured in, all right, 6'3", 207. Okay. 207 at the, uh, not the combine, but at the senior bowl, okay? Tyler Owens. In order for him to get to 422 at 207, again, we're talking physics here. And he's the best one. He did a 10 to 6 in the 100 meters. But that's getting going, all right? We're talking about 6'3", 207, ramping up. He's the best you got. It's not happening. I know it's a, I know it's a big number, you know, whether you want to lay that or not, you know, 20 to 1. But it ain't happening. Ah, I love it. Okay. Um, so the bridge jumper of the weekend is no, <laughs> minus 700. Uh, that sounds good to me. Um, I'm, I'm shopping through, I'm looking for some, uh, something to marry my, um, uh, my Jalen, uh, over, uh, on his 40 time. Any, any other 40 times really stand out to you that, uh, you know, for keeping in mind, these are probably going to move, uh, you know, as, as most of these soft markets that Eric crushes do. Uh, but, uh, you know, any, any other, uh, legs that you think uh, I'll be looking out for? Sure. So we are, again, you gotta understand these came out yesterday. These markets, again, seismically, these have already moved. It's it's almost ridiculous how how I mean we're talking whole. Oh my god! Yeah, big size. Couple that I like. No, a couple that I like. Big seismographs. Uh, Braylon Allen started out at four four. He was at four four three. He's currently at four four seven. He is two hundred forty pounds. Jesus. Good luck. I mean, it, I, I, it's going to keep going up, I think. Like, that's a big number. Audric Estime started at 4.48. He's at 4.5 even. 4.5 even at 220-plus pounds. That's a big number as well. Um, and then Blake Corum started out at 4.39. I, I, I put it into orbit. It's currently in, up near Saturn, Europa. It's it's over there right now. The Blake Corum 4.39 line. He's at 4.46. Still, still think that's a that's too low. Uh, yeah. To me, yeah, too low. You have to go higher. So I like I'm going over on what's left here. I don't see a lot of value on much of the unders. Okay, there okay, you there you go. Well, I wouldn't want to book your action uh, on these, Eric. These are very <laughs> pitiful markets, and uh, yeah, I would definitely rather be on your side than the market side. Um, so that is very likely good mail. All right, we are done, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell people? where to follow you on social media and what you're working on. Absolutely. You can follow me at CF Froton on social media. Uh, I'll be working on the combine. I'll have a couple different comps coming out. Certainly some videos as I am want to do. And as always, uh, be on the lookout at NBC YouTube channel in season for college football, where I host every Saturday morning, the 11 a.m. NBC Sports YouTube Q&A with all my college football props, which I hit 67% this year for the fourth fourth consecutive year. I've hit 67% on settled lines verified. Yeah, I was... I was looking at your uh, at your Twitter pin tweet before, and uh, yeah, you went 246 and 120 uh, on right. these props and yeah. this whole track. So, uh, so yeah, no, that, that's a pretty good record. When I go on best bets, that's on there too. I, I yeah, what? Come on, what, what kind of average odds are you talking? Minus two hundred? <laughs> what, what? Oh, oh, minus, oh, minus one. best bets oh. seventeen and five. Uh, also, okay, seventeen and five. Best. I knew I slayed my best bets. Uh, so, yeah, there I. You go. Just be uh, be on the lookout on our beloved NBC Sports YouTube channel. Uh, 
during the fall. I'll, I'll be there and I'll be making you money. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, we love it. All right, don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those of you watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. If you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Thanks again to Eric Froton from Jake Crouch and Drew Dinsick. We'll see you next week. Thank you.